Hello! Welcome to Center Saint Sister. This is a space where spirited, hurting, searching, faithful people come together and ask hard questions and listen to some really wise people share about how they have lived life deeply. If this episode spoke to you, I hope that you leave a review and subscribe. You can visit YouTube slash Allison Sullivan for some really fun extras. I hope you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. The week before Jesus died, the disciples headed into Jerusalem. When they got there, nothing was working out the way that they thought it would. There must have been so much confusion. The disciples responded differently to the bewilderment of their crushed expectations. Some of them ran, left town altogether. Some of them hid, watching everything from a safer distance. And then some of them stayed, really stayed, till the very bitter end. I love Mary Magdalene with something I can only describe as kinship. A kinship that doesn't belong to the laws of this land, of course, but a kinship that makes my soul feel like she is a sisterly companion, a trusted sage. I feel I know her. We're never told the specifics of her past, but we know that she was needy, a seven demons kind of needy. She was one of a group of women who traveled with Jesus. During the time of Jesus, women were segregated from men and excluded from many aspects of public and social life, and yet she took her place at his feet. Given the culture, it's easy to understand why Jesus' openness to women's company and friendship would have been perceived as dangerous. It's perhaps also why the evangelists were so tight-lipped on the subject. We hardly know anything of substance about this group of women following Jesus around like men. But we do know this. Mary Magdalene is always the first woman mentioned in any list of the women, the same way that Peter is the first man mentioned. Text gives us far more information about Peter, of course, but Mary Magdalene is impossible to ignore. Follower of Jesus, apostle to the apostles, the Taurus. The smaller group of disciples, the ones who did not run or hide, the ones who stayed till the bitter end, mostly women. They were close enough to speak with Jesus, and this showed a nearness. Their nearness was proximal, but it was also emotional, relational. The women wept, and Jesus died. The body of Jesus, it was left on the cross, and this was intended to be a reminder to the people, do not cross Rome. The bodies of those crucified were dumped into a dumpster because defying Rome denied you a proper burial. But Joseph of Arimathea, who was part of the ruling council, went to Pilate and asked for an exemption. He believed in Jesus in secret, and he had an empty tomb nearby. He was a wealthy man, and he took Jesus there to give him a proper burial. The women watched. The burial was being done hastily because Sabbath was coming, and so the women, they wanted to do more, but the timing and the law, it didn't allow for it. But as soon as they could, the women gathered the spices that they wanted, and they went to go do what they were not able to do on Friday, which was give more respectful attention to the body of their friend and teacher. All four Gospels report the women as the first visitors to the empty tomb. In John, we're told that Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. She found the tomb empty. She ran in great distress to tell Peter and John that Jesus' body had been stolen. All three of them returned to the tomb, and seeing that it is indeed empty, the two men, they returned to their homes, but Mary Magdalene was inconsolable. She couldn't leave. Looking into the tomb, she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying. 
And they ask her why she is weeping, and she answers, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The text continues, When she had said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him, and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. The risen Jesus was unrecognizable to Mary until she heard him say her name. How many times in Scripture did those who knew Jesus in earthly life not recognize him risen? But the moment he says her name, she knew. It was their proximity. It was their nearness. It was their relationship. Theirs must have been one of great intimacy. And I'm sure that Mary was overcome with emotion when she realized that Jesus wasn't dead. What did she do in those moments? Did she weep? Did she dance? Did she fall to the ground and hold on to his feet? They were so close. Why then does Jesus say, don't cling to me? Don't cling to me, he says. I have not ascended yet. In Greek, the word hapto, spoken in middle voice, is something between active and passive, and it implies that Mary is both acting and being acted upon. Mary actively recognizes Jesus, but passively, she needs to receive something new about him. Don't cling to me. Mary Magdalene had to stop clinging to the Jesus she had known in order to recognize the risen Christ. While I don't think Jesus in the tomb is any different than Jesus on the seas of Galilee, I do think that Mary Magdalene is being asked to know him differently. Jesus of the first century, he was a carpenter from Nazareth who was followed and well-known by a very small group of people, but Mary is being asked to not keep him there. In that historical place and time, clinging only to what is familiar, she is told to step back and take in what is new. I know that I have a view of Jesus that has comforted me over the years, cherished images that have served me well, until Jesus reveals himself to me newly. And then I'm told not to cling. I'm told to quit clinging to images of Jesus that have locked him in time and place, that have kept him small and tame, that have conformed him to teacher only, never Lord, who is still very much alive in this world, more real than anything I could ever cling to. Mary Magdalene witnessed a gruesome death of a dear friend, a death she never saw coming. She waited and wept through that dreadful Saturday, bewildered by how quickly her world had come crashing down. Everything she thought she knew for certain dashed. With no other conviction except to just keep caring for the teacher that she loved, she arrived brokenhearted to an inexplicably empty tomb. And then she ran to her friends. And then she met a mystifying stranger, and then she adjusted her vision and clung no more. What Mary supposed was the end was in fact a new beginning. It might have been the end of everything she comfortably knew and could hold on to, but it was just the beginning of resurrection and the return of Jesus' heavenly glory. A God we can handle? It's an idol. No one has taught me better than Sarah Bessie. That's a very important lesson. She helps me to consistently pray for the gift of recognition when I wonder again and again who God is. 
In her example helps me to let go with confidence knowing that any dark night of reckoning can always be followed by a new dawn of renewed faith. Join Sister Miriam James Heidland on a healing journey this Advent using Behold, a guided Advent journal for prayer and meditation. In this beautiful guided journal for prayer and meditation, Sister Miriam James will walk with you as you explore familial wounds with the help of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. It features stunning original art by Josiah Henley. There's free weekly companion videos, a downloadable discussion guide, and other resources that make it perfect for parish-wide individual or book club use all leading up to Christmas. Each week, we'll focus on a different theme that you can connect to your life in a practical way. Each day you'll journey deeper into the meaning of Advent with a meditation, reflection questions, a prayer, journaling space. Let the Holy Family be your light through Advent as you receive the healing power of Christ. Sarah, I have been following you for longer than I can remember. Um, You have such a special mixture of pastor and friend and sage and mother and poet and mystic and this really remarkable ability to walk um, questioning or disoriented or disillusioned people um, towards the light. And I, I admire that so much because it means that you yourself have been disillusioned or disoriented. And instead of just arriving some calmer, safer place... Um, you instead feel compassion for people to go back into some dimly lit place and point people towards light, um, towards the things that you that you have discovered. And I, I, it's your compassion for people. It's your compassion for people that just makes you share all this good news. And you have so much good news. You have showed me so many times over the years. And I'm I'm so grateful that you said yes to be here. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm so happy to be here. I'll say thank you. I hardly even know how to respond. That means a lot to me to hear. Well, thank you. Yes, good. I um I first came to know you online. You're such a beautiful writer. And there were these moments um during my early motherhood. Um it felt like extreme motherhood because I had four babies in four years. And, um, and I know that, you know, but, but there were like these, these stolen moments that I would get. And they truly felt stolen because I would find myself like, army crawling out of a kid's bedroom at nap time. <laughs> and I would go, yes, I do. I know. I know, you know, but I would, I would grab something to eat that wasn't goldfish and I would find my favorite spot on our chair and I would open up my computer and I would see if you had written anything that day. And if you had, I would just inhale it like truly, <laughs> you know, really like Aww. these deep breaths of taking it in. And then if you hadn't, I would try to, you know, write something on my own. And it was that space online, your space online that led me to your books. First, of course, Jesus Feminist and Out of Sorts, with which both both served to kind of pick me up. And then um, you know, the rhythm of prayer and miracles, you know, those things have kind of kept me going. Um, so because of how vulnerable you are in your writing, I feel like I already know so many important things about you. But in um, in an effort to introduce yourself a little bit to listeners, will you tell us about who and what you love? Oh, I love that. That's a good way of asking that. Um, I, 
that's always a fun. It's funny. I feel like I'm. I hardly even know how to answer the question sometimes. So I'm. Um, I'm a writer. I guess is maybe the, a good way to start it, or how mm-hmm. most people might know me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've written a couple of books, but I kind of got my start online. You know, like I think a lot of women did in you know the early aughts um, of just beginning to almost share our lives from the middle of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of, you know, kind of an origin story for me. And so yeah. that kind of led into, you know, book writing. And now I lead, um, uh, you know, small little misfit faith community called, mm-hmm. uh, evolving faith. Um, that is like a, a gathering and a, a online community. And, you know, there's a podcast and a few other things that it's for a lot of those folks who are, you know, the wanderers and the question askers and the ones who feel a little bit like spiritual refugees and are kind of have found themselves in that wilderness of, well, if not this, then what, you know, and, um, and so leading that community, co-leading that community with Jeff Chu and a number of friends has been a huge part of my life the last few years. Um, I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um, and, you know, born and raised here. And uh, my husband, I'd be married for almost 22 years now we have four kids we did our first three and four years and then we had one last little baby a few years down the road just to make a fool of myself over and so they're all now you know growing up my eldest is 16 now and Mm. we're just kind of in the thick of it right we're everything from driving lessons to you know first boyfriends and tooth fairies and we kind of got the whole thing going the whole gamut and so yeah the life definitely feels a little bit full I think on this side of everything but I'm really really grateful for it so I think that's probably about a good start anyway yeah thank you for that um I've asked you on today Sarah because you were the very first person um that I ever read who talked about what I'm now defining as deconstruction um when I read out of sorts in 2015 I my Faith hadn't really undergone or I hadn't experienced any great need to kind of reorient myself. But over the last couple of years, with all of this cultural and political upheaval um, and watching the church respond or not, or um, Mm -hmm. or people that I that had taught me the faith respond or not um, watching all of that, I feel like I am having and have been having a reckoning and um my faith has been shook. And so now out of sorts means so much more to me now than it did to mm-hmm. me then. I, I recently reread it. And so um, you went for, it's just like you went first, <laughs> you know, to tell <laughs> us what could possibly be coming. And so, and so now we're hearing that word deconstruction. We're hearing that word a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and it can really mean anything from losing our faith altogether or simply struggling with how institutions have failed us. Um, it can mean see- seeking separation from certain pol- political ideologies that, um, you know, certain faith groups tend to be um, connecting themselves to as a grounding center in um, our politics. Um, it can also be people questioning everything um, because mm-hmm. they've been scandalized or traumatized um, by people who have Mm -hmm. led them. Um, It can also be something as simple as doubt, you know, uh, people who are just kind of taking their time to get their bearings. And Mm -hmm. um, to start us off, I would love you speak about this very beautifully. And I would love to hear you tell listeners about the value of of honest doubt, um, just allowing room in our faith for questions. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, um, it's an interesting conversation now, I think, to be that is really, like you said, grown in importance and, and in relevance to, I think, a lot of people. 
Um, my first experiences with deconstruction were probably 20 years ago. And I think, and again, not, not having language, you know, like that at right. the time, right? It's, those are things that, that existed more in, you know, universities and seminaries and, you know, places that were not kind of in my regular little happy clappy churches, right? Uh -huh. And so it, it's a profoundly disorienting experience because you do kind of, you've, you've, in a lot of ways, we're even taught to be afraid of it. Mm. Right. We're taught that, you know, it's a slippery slope, that if you yeah. start pulling the thread of that sweater, the whole thing's going to unravel, mm. that if you start asking questions or peeking behind the curtain, um, that there's no coming back from that. Yeah. Right. And and we're, you're told that almost like uh, as a caution. Um, and yet, to me, that's that's an invitation. Right. And I think that that's where a lot of times we sometimes miss, misstep or where the value of doubt is or the value of asking questions. Even I would say the value of your curiosity mm. um, really does come down to this is an entirely normal part of faith formation. Yeah. And instead of mythologizing the certainty and the never asking questions, um, I think that we've got done a lot of work and a lot of uh, people have done a lot of work to normalize asking questions and doubt and curiosity yeah. and even saying, well, wait a minute, that that doesn't match up with what I know about Jesus or that doesn't match up with what I hope for about yeah. God or this doesn't sound like good news to the people who are marginalized and poor and oppressed and, yeah. and, and held captive by our systems and principalities and powers of this world. And so those sorts of, of questions, that sort of deepening um, is incredibly normal and healthy part of spiritual formation. It's nothing to be afraid of. And in fact, it's, it's deeply embedded within not only the Christian tradition, we have a long history of that, um, but even, you know, scripturally and biblically, I mean, I think sometimes it's, it, the Bible's more honest about questions and doubt and rage and anger than we are. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a path to follow even within that. And so I think that that's some of the stuff that we're seeing now is that a lot of our institutions and our structures or our churches or even our friend groups, um, you know, our social structures or communities almost are set up to function best for people who live in a lot of certainty. Um, and there's not a whole lot of room or shepherding or, or pastoral work or even companionship. Hmm. Um, for folks who find themselves in the wilderness. And I think that's the space that I'm very interested in right. is, is not just um, deconstruction for the sake of deconstruction, which yeah. has its place. It also, I'm, I'm also really interested in beginning to not just say what I'm against, but also begin to imagine together what we're for yeah. and what we're hoping for. And I think that sometimes our doubts or our questions, our curiosities, even our disappointments, the abuse, the trauma, the truth telling, uh, the reckoning even that we're having right, having right now is often um, an invitation from the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, that you didn't land here because you were faithless. You landed here because you were faithful, mm -hmm. because you are mm -hmm. you are genuinely listening to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, First Peter talks about you know Peter's talking about a faith that is more precious than gold because it has been refined by fire. You know, mm -hmm. this isn't unusual. You know, you talk about how in Scripture we see it all the time that there's this this talk of renewing our minds and. Um, when I'm a yoga instructor. And one of the things that I always say is that there's no way through, but through. And so right. things, things that get buried, they just tend to stink, you know? And so I feel like 
our doubt. It, can, it has potential to mutate into something far more sinister than a good, healthy question um, when it's it's buried and, and tucked away. And, um, you know, it, we're not we're not leaving this existence. I don't think we need to be afraid of everything, you know, f- falling apart, that that thread that you're pulling that we're talking that you were talking about. Um, but instead, we're just seeking um, something bigger and brighter and more ablaze with glory than what right. we experienced before. Um, so you in Out of Sorts, you give this really beautiful example that, you know, our doubt can really serve this purpose. And you talked about, it's this beautiful analogy that your mom would talk about pricking the nest. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, can you, can you tell, can you give us that visual? Sure, sure. This was a visual that emerged. Um it emerged when I was like launching into adulthood. And now that I've got kids on the cusp of that, it makes a lot more sense as well. Again, it's funny how you can kind of live into (laughs) metaphors over and over again. But I remember her talking about um, that when it comes time to kind of launch kids, there's, there's almost like this natural like prickles in the nest that kind of begin to emerge. And this is something that um, she had heard in like some nature show or had, you know, read in a magazine along the way that, you know, when it's time for birds to begin to fly, their mom will begin to put things in the nest that are uncomfortable. I don't know if this is necessarily entirely true across the, all of the animal kingdom, but we saw it in a show. <laughs> and so it was like, clearly the TV's always right. Uh-huh. And so there was this thing of like, you would put little prickles in the nest, things that would make it uncomfortable so that the the baby bird would feel like you know what, no matter what's on the other side of this, it's better than whatever's happening here Mm. because it's uncomfortable and it doesn't feel good. And so now, even though there's a risk to, you know, leaping out of the nest or trying to fly or doing departing even, um, it's, this doesn't feel like home anymore. This doesn't feel comfortable anymore to me. And so this actually isn't an option anymore. Mm -hmm. And so she talked about that kind of jokingly when she was launching young adults of being like, you know, it's good for you to feel uncomfortable and be ready to go to be like, you know what, I'm chafing against these rules or I'm chafing against these things and I'm ready to go and do my own thing. And in a lot of ways, I think that um, the Holy Spirit almost did that work for me Mm -hmm. um, of placing kind of those prickles in the nest of being like, well, wait a minute, I can't, I can't pretend I didn't see that. Mm. Or I can't pretend that I don't mm-hmm. have have an issue with with this particular thing. Right. Or I can't pretend that I'm not seeing, um, you know, this this thing kind of go down or this kind of you know stuff happen. And I think that in particular, like you were talking about at the beginning, the sense of reckoning. And for the last couple of years, I've I, I mean I come from a Pentecostal background or from a charismatic mm-hmm. background, and so I'm super comfortable with language that feels very you know big mm-hmm. and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been using the word apocalypse, you know, for this present reckoning that you were you were talking about, and that those are some big prickles yeah. that are in the nest. And when I say apocalypse, like I don't mean it in like a sweaty tech revival preacher end of the world sort of way, as much mm-hmm. as I mean it in like the I mean, although, listen, I'm here for a sweaty tent revival, but <laughs> there's, more this, <laughs> there's more this sense of like um, the true like root meaning of the word, meaning like an unveiling. Yeah. Right. That that things that have been hidden are being dragged, kicking and screaming mm. into the light. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. now at this point, you're not given the luxury of secrets anymore. You're not given mm. the luxury of pretending you don't see anymore. You're not mm-hmm. given the luxury yeah. of, you know, rose colored glasses or of saying it's fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. It's because above the ground and have fever been- pitched. Exactly. The inequities have been exposed. The, the root um, of the thing that is rotten. Even, you know, Jesus talks about this with the fig tree, but like how the, the, the fruit 
right? You can tell a tree by its fruit. And in a lot of ways, we are seeing some fruit come to yeah. bear that is yeah. very toxic and poisonous yeah. and up, you know, not serving people well. Yeah. And so that's where I think that a lot of that kind of comes in even. It's just that sense of um, the prickles in the nest maybe is the, the metaphor that will get you to step out of the complacency. Yeah. It will get you to say, um, and it can be a lot of different things for a lot of people. It can be, you know, inclusion, it can be racism, it can be your awake, awakening to Christian nationalism and patriarchy. It can be very private sorrows within your own life mm-hmm. of realizing that the things that you used to think about prayer and about miracles right. or about God mm-hmm. or about how if, if I do this, then this will be my life. You yeah. know, those kinds of promises, those things are evaporating for a lot of people yeah. right now. And so now what? What is the gospel in this space? What is yeah. what is the thing we're, we're leaping into now? And that's, I think, um, something where, where the Holy Spirit is waiting to meet us, right? Mm-hmm. You're not being met by empty air. You're being met by those currents and that wave and that yeah. movement and, and even your own instincts. And yeah. so, yeah, that, that metaphor has keeps coming back around and around for me, it feels like lately. So. And, you know, earlier you mentioned the word fear. I mean, leaping out of a nest is fearful, right? We all, I mean, Absolutely. we do love Terrifying. certainty. <laughs> so, um, you know, in the Gospels, Jesus is asked 187 questions. I read this. I did not go count. So, um, and <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> and he he barely answers any, by the way. So he's asked 187 questions, um, and then he asks 307. So so questions are good. Questions are a yeah. good thing. So I don't know where we get this idea that all of this certitude, you know, that certainty about our faith is something to value. Because by looking, it seems like question asking is is the good thing. What is it about us? I feel like you name things so well. And so if if we're talking about this fear, you know, this fear of of leaving the nest, it's scary to start letting questions come um, come and doubt surface. That might be a scary feeling. Um, can you help us understand what it is we might be afraid of? Hmm. That's a good question. I, you know, and and it's going to be different, I think, for everyone mm-hmm. um, in terms of what what the costs are, right? Because I think that we don't do anybody any favors if we aren't honest about yeah. the toll that oftentimes asking these sorts of questions or peeking behind these curtains can take. Um, and oftentimes, I mean, for sure, there's some people who have a lot of existential theological fear. They're afraid of going to hell. They're afraid mm-hmm. of getting it wrong. They're mm-hmm. afraid of God, right? They've yeah. been given a wow. vision of God that is angry and judgmental wow. and, and cruel and petty even. And so untangling that sort of toxic view of God can take a, a long time. I mean, it can involve, you know, everything yeah. from what you learn or what you teach in therapy, I mean, what, yoga. I mean, there's a million ways to to reconnect and heal your your vision of God and mm-hmm. heal that sort of fear. But a lot of people, that was, that's not a, a bug in the system. That was a feature you were given, mm-hmm. right? Like to be afraid of God and be afraid of, of that. And so I think that that's a big part of it for a lot of people, especially if you were raised in particularly, you know, um, fundamentalist spaces. Yep. Um, but I think the other other thing that people are often afraid of, that maybe we aren't always as honest about, is that we are losing the currency of belonging. And mm-hmm. that sense of, um, if, I, if I do this, I, I maybe don't fit here anymore. Right. Or I don't belong here anymore. Right. And for sure, there are a lot of folks who, those spaces of belonging or community, whether they are church or they are, you know, a denomination or they are, you know, a way of being in your neighborhood, whatever it is. There's a lot of folks who never fit, 
right? Like there's a lot of folks who, because of very aspects of their identity, were like, you know what, listen, this was never a safe place for me. This was never a great place for <laughs> right. me to be. Yeah. And so I don't even know what that would, what that kind of belonging would feel like must be nice. But the larger, you know, for a lot of folks, there's this sense of like, oh, I'm going to, the, the punishment for stepping out of line is that you lose your belonging. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a thing that can be, it's wonderful when you're given it and it's, it's devastating to have it taken away from you because well, it's you biological. know that you could be, I mean, it we is. need you each can other. Lose your family, <laughs> you can lose your friends, you can use, lose your church, you can lose a lot of people when you begin to kind of, you know, question and pick and pull or begin to kind of step out of that nest or step out of line, whatever metaphor you want to use. And so I think that those are, those are not, you know, small fears. And yeah. oftentimes they're rooted in some sort of reality because there is, there can be some punishment. You, you are going to be taking some risks. I think the thing that we are searching for in the midst of that is a sense of companionship and belovedness Yeah. that no matter where you go, no matter where you step out, no matter how, how maybe you are punished sometimes by the people in your life for daring to be the person in the crowd who says the emperor has no clothes. Um, there's this greater sense of integrity and belonging and belovedness, even with God, um, you know, even in the midst of that. And the fun thing too, is that also in the wilderness, you realize you're not as alone or as crazy as you thought Yeah. that there's a yeah. lot of us who like yourself, who are asking good questions and having good conversations and wanting to deepen and understand their faith and, and yet push back and, and strip away the things that are weighing them down or holding us back or damaging people. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are, that's good and, and hard work, but yeah, there's some fears associated yeah. with that and, and it can come down to it. Well, and freedom, you know, just the freedom to have open hands um, instead of this closed fisted certitude. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, the the open hands and the freedom, that's what's leading to new revelations. That's what's leading for for me. You know, my my growing faith has never been certainty plus more certainty plus more certainty equals certainty for me I I feel like it's always kind of been you know this this knowing and then this unknowing and then this new knowing you know it's like it's all by revelation um and that can't happen if I'm sitting here you know close-fisted and certain and and Really, I I heard something. I I wish I could remember where. I don't know where, but it was talking about how curiosity is the opposite of shame. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, I have this question. I don't know if that question's allowed. I'm going to tuck it and bury it. Where it's like, oh, I'm I'm curious about that. I want to I want to learn mm-hmm. about that. I want to find other people who are asking the same question or you know have more expertise. Um, so you liken deconstruction um, to a rummage sale. And and I, I do love a rummage sale, but I especially love this analogy. Um, and Brian Zond, he mentions similarly, it's a, it's a similar analogy, but he, he mentions a remodel. And mm-hmm. while he's remodeling, he he's very careful to make distinctions, um, three different distinctions. And, and one of them is Jesus Christ, which is the foundation. And then there is the church, which we have either built or inherited or both. And then there is Christianity, which we have built and and inherited. And um, when he's talking about those three separate things, he's saying that Jesus Christ is always and will always be the foundation. But there have come times in his life where he has had to remodel um, church and Christianity, the things that he's either built or 
inherited. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes the, the things that he's built are worthy of a king and other times they, they desperately need a, a shakedown. Um, so similarly, you are, you know, are talking about this, this, this rummage sale, that there are some unworthy things that just that need to go, things not worth saving. And then there are things that are worse, worth risking everything for. And yeah. um, since this process doesn't have to mean burn it all. <laughs> You know, you mentioned the the sweater that, you know, the thread that gets pulled and now, now what? Um, since it doesn't have to mean that, what are examples of the separation for you? How have you known what to save in your rummage sale and what to get rid of? I, I really love that metaphor. It actually came from Phyllis Tickle, um, that metaphor. She was a a church historian and leader. She passed away a couple of years ago. Her work is absolutely incredible, but she wrote mm. this book called The Great Emergence, where she talked about that. I want to say she borrowed it even from like an Anglican bishop named Mark Dyer. Mm. Um, that may not 100% be true, but I think that's what's in my memory. <laughs> but there's this sense of like, okay, well, about every 500 years, the church has this massive rummage sale. And the idea being that, you know, great schism, the the reformation, you know, about every 500 years or so, we go through kind of like this major shifting and sifting within the church, that kind of remodel, like Brian Zond was talking about, where you're just like, okay, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, But what we have done and built and created, um, it's always going to change in response to that. And there are some things here that we need to reckon with or that, you know, apocalypse happens or, you know, whatever else. And we're right at that time right now. You know, we're really right at that moment, that 500 year kind of mark where things are shifting and things are profoundly changing. And the vision of the church is emerging. It's splitting. There's there's different things that are happening along the way. And I think it is a profound shaking down that's that's happening. And so if that's happening at an institutional level, if that's happening on a cultural level, if we're seeing it happen within our churches and within our denominations, within the, the church as a whole global thing, um, then of course it's happening in our individual lives, mm-hmm. right? We're experiencing it in, in our homes and in our own uh, personal expressions of faith, the ways that we embody that faith. And so, you know, for me, that rummage, that rummage sale metaphor was incredibly helpful um, because yes, there are some things that need to go and good riddance to them, right? They're, they're broken. They are dangerous. They are, they just don't serve any longer. And then there are things that you are just like, nope, this is super precious. Want to hang on to this? Absolutely. And then there's those things in the middle where you're just like, well, I don't know. Right. Mm. I just don't really know how I feel. And sometimes you live mm. into those a little bit. Mm. I think that was some of the stuff that I was almost most surprised by. Um, I've noticed that when it comes to this sort of reckoning, that sort of, you know, deconstruction season or wilderness season, remodeling season, um, that we often enter into and, and cycle in and out of throughout our life of faith. Like you said, it's always periods of learning and unlearning and relearning God. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more this sense of, um, we think that there are just two possible responses. Like we think yeah. that our options are to either like burn it all down. Mm-hmm. There's nothing redeemable, you know, raise it right to the ground and, and dance on the ashes. Or our option is just to stick your fingers in your ears and yeah. sing la 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 really loud at the top of your voice and be yeah. like, it's fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. Whistling past the graveyard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whistling past the graveyard. And so you double down real hard. You're like, what questions? I don't know. I'm just going to keep doing the things I do. Right. 
And so neither one, like you said, they're rooted in shame. There's, there's a sense of like, even, um, you know, uh, of, of the, you run out of one or both of those fairly quickly. Yeah. And the thing that I, I think that the rummage sale metaphor gives us is that third way kind of through, through what that is, mm-hmm. where you allow yourself to say, I don't know, where you allow yourself to take some time, yeah. um, where you begin to perceive and walk softly and, and understand, but also have your moments of anger and rage and pushback. And, and, and even I remember having huge senses, especially during my first experience with all of this, of almost feeling ripped off, mm. like feeling angry in my heart, because mm. I was like, the more I learned about Jesus, the more that I began to follow and understand who Jesus was and what he taught, the more I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. And how have we landed here? And so, yeah, I want to shovel this stuff off and, you know, take it to the landfill. And of course I want to strip these things away and I want to throw the windows open on this house and let the fresh air through and open the front door and have people like, this is the the things that you're, you begin to realize. And and once that space and that room opens up, you can then begin to even perceive more clearly the things that you thought um, you were going to get rid of that actually have become precious. You know, yeah. I think I, I think that way a lot in terms of like, I was definitely more of a burn it down sort of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am if I would have had myself pegged as someone who was like, yeah, no, we're done here. Um, this is irredeemable. There's nothing here that I want to bother saving. And yet I was constantly surprised through that process about how many things that I thought that I was going to release and never return to became precious to me. Yeah. Um, things like scripture and prayer, mm-hmm. um, the traditions of the church, mm-hmm. um, you know, communion, uh, you know, the ways I understand those things have profoundly changed and yet mm. they're very precious to me. And yeah. those are things that I, I hang on to. And so, yeah, I think that's whatever metaphor really helps you begin to kind of sort through and understand and give yourself the patience and the kindness and the loving kindness that I believe a mother would give to you, that a, that mm. God would give to you, yeah. a good mother would give. Um, those are those are places where you can have that room. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, we get into real serious trouble when we claim anything other than Christ as foundation, because it's, mm. it's tempting to make our theology our foundation or our church our foundation or the Bible our foundation. But the thing is, is that every single one of those things without reservation points to Jesus as yeah. the ultimate truth. And and it's not that those things aren't aren't important because they are, but every single one of them unabashedly says no that no this this guy. This it's it's all mm-hmm. about Jesus. Um you know, I know I know that this is obviously a very important topic to you. Um but you know, Paul says a couple of words like in a letter maybe even to one woman. And we're using this, these, these words of that women should be quiet in church. You know, we're, we're using them broadly, like gestures wildly, you know, we're using them (laughs) way, um, we're overusing them instead of looking to uh, what should be our foundation, which is the liberating ministry of Jesus Christ. Talk a little bit maybe about some of those specifics, like things that, that took um, a reckoning, maybe something that surprised you in the, in the process? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think that that's one of the things that I find really interesting um, from this vantage point now is how often we work so hard 
to um, baptize in sacred language things that Jesus redeemed us from. Mm. Um, Uh, And that's where a a lot of the stuff around women and women in the church, to me, really is um, sorrowful and um, outright damaging. Right. And I think that that's one of those things that was almost one of my initial um, launches into a lot of this season was, you know, I, I felt like I was a feminist, not in spite of my faith, but because of my faith, mm-hmm. that I was a feminist because of Jesus, because, not in yeah, spite of Jesus. Because you fell in love with Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so to me, that liberative, that um, story that I could see in scripture, even, um, and then at the same time, watching this, you know, how hard the church was working to baptize, you know, kind of that, you know, patriarchal culture and make it somehow sacred was just, it's mind blowing to me. So those were some of the first threads that I began to kind of tease out. Right. And once you start to do that, of course, anything's game, um, which is both (laughs) terrifying and wonderful, but there was a sense for me. And I saw that in scripture. I mean, again, I spent a lot of time and and years kind of wrestling through all of that. And that's one of the things that I, I never stopped to mar- I never stop marveling at is this sense of like people will throw you know cherry picked Bible verses about women whether it's you know Second Timothy or you know Ephesians five or whatever else and everything in me is just like I I wish you loved your Bible enough to read the whole thing yeah. because like I mean you see like the totality of of Scripture the totality of the story of Jesus something that is so different and so beautiful about women, um, about women's place in the church, about women's place in the world, about the ways that Jesus um, worked with alongside of women, even Paul. I feel like Paul oftentimes gets this huge rap of being, I mean, and granted, I've had some complicated feelings about Paul myself, and that's on on record multiple times. Yes. And you write about it so beautifully. Everybody go get out of sorts. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) But there's this sense of... um, I don't know, possibility (laughs) that I can see. And, and I can see as well, just how beautiful it is when, when women's voices and experiences um, are fully affirmed within the church, how um, it looks when women are preaching the gospel, when women are embodying the gospel, you can see over and over in scripture that Paul worked alongside of and with women in ministry and, and elevated them as leaders and, and cooperated with them as leaders. And I mean, just the millions of, of women who bankrolled the public ministry of Jesus yeah, and right. for women who could bankroll things, right? And so, I mean, there's just so many examples, one after another, after another, and yet we will miss the gospel forest for these word-by-word yeah. treats, yeah. right? Um. I feel like so often just what you're saying about, you know, using all the all the sacred language to, you know, verify how they how they feel. It's like they're they were using our religion or our cultural expression to inform us of who Jesus was instead of letting Jesus inform those things. Um, so you mentioned um, that your personality, I relate, is um, one to kind of burn it all just get rid of all of it. You know, I, I, yeah, (laughs) we're done here. I really understand that. And I feel like deconstruction actually does have a lot of potential to be destructive. So what, um, how do we do this with avoiding cynicism? Hmm. (laughs) Um, because we can become quite angry in the process, right? I mean, it's emotional. Well, and sometimes you should be, Right. Yeah. I think that yeah. That's, yeah. 
that's sometimes even a, a big part of it, isn't it? Because I think especially for Christian women, I mean, I don't know about, you know, necessarily everyone, but I know like the, the dominant narrative that you receive as a Christian woman is to be, is to tame that anger yeah. and to be afraid of it, mm-hmm. right? That somehow it's sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we will do terrible things to ourselves mm-hmm. in order to deny yeah. knowing what we know. And in order to hide the anger that we feel. And so I feel like sometimes some of the first bits of freedom or permission that we almost need um, is to allow ourselves to to be angry, right? It's to allow ourselves to not necessarily, you know, to allow ourselves to be cynical, but I think to allow yourself to know what you know and to allow yourself to tell the truth, which in subcultures like especially evangelicalism, is always going to be a radical prophetic act. It just is. Telling the truth is always going to be a radical prophetic act in spaces like this. And so beginning to do that work and beginning to allow yourself to know what you know, to say it out loud, to allow yourself to be angry and to work through that anger in healthy ways. Mm -hmm. I often find as well that for women, you know, you could probably make the same argument about your joy. Hmm. right in a lot of ways we're told to you know not to trust your heart and it's wicked and deceitful that you're not allowed to pursue what you love or what Hmm. interests you or what keeps you curious and so allowing yourself I mean again the the notion that anything about Jesus would make you be less human Hmm. is just you know laughable and so it's like that full expression of your humanity allowing yourself to be angry allowing yourself to pursue joy allowing yourself to to open those things up um, a lot of times that to me is the path through the cynicism, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times cynicism will manifest out of a hopelessness and a despair mm. um, of things ever changing. And, yeah. and for sure, those are legitimate feelings at times. I mean, it's, it's hard sometimes not to feel a little bit cynical, especially if you're looking at particular leaders or particular moments and whatever else. And that's where hope comes in, right? That's where that ground deep, the one who gets up in the morning and keeps moving forward sort of hope comes in. That's the practice and discipline of hope. That's the, the, the things that you are hoping for, not just the things you're afraid of. Yeah. And that can be almost, and again, if language like spiritual discipline is triggering and upsetting for people, chuck it. Then I like the word practice you know, that you're, you're practicing those things. And so for me, I think a lot of that is, um, you know, the, the path through the wilderness will often be with, you know, with folks, there'll be times when you're alone and, you know, it's just you and God out under the sky at night. And those, those will become holy moments for you, even Mm -hmm. if they are terrifying Mm -hmm. and allowing those full range of what you know and what you experience and what you hope for about God. Um, And then also, I think, you know, having your, your eyes open to the signs of God's presence, oftentimes in the places where we haven't being taught to expect it. I remember, um, you know, you can be told that here's, here's the ways that you will encounter God. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to go to church. You're going to do a Bible study. You're going to sing these, you know, worship songs from these approved worship bands. You're going to do, you know, this, this, and this. And, and instead realizing like, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a poor, impoverished view of the goodness of God. And you will find your joy. You will find your hopefulness. You will find your people. You will find signs of God's presence in every every corner of creation every corner of your life the laundry pile the boardroom whatever wherever you're working the people who are crossing paths with you these are the places um where god is always up to something 
And that doesn't change simply because now, you know, you are telling the truth Mm. and you're aware of what's going on. Your um, self-delusion does not serve anybody. And it certainly doesn't serve yourself and your own awakening and empowerment and transformation in the world. And that's what we want. We want you fully alive. We want Mm. you fully engaged with the work of redemption and resurrection and renewal of all things, right? Thank you so much. I feel like you are so sensitive to, um, you know, knowing what God is up to. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you you so much for being a pointer. It's like we need these pointers in our lives. You know, the people that are Mm -hmm. pointing to that's God. That's not God. That's God. That's not God. So um, thank you for that. Can we close with something that you specifically are hopeful for? Sure. Oh, that's good. Um, I just want to ask you the same thing. What are you hopeful for right now? Peace. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Just a little peace. And, you know, I feel like it starts small. I mean, just, you know, school started for us recently. And it's like, I felt so um, overwhelmed with getting all five kids um, dressed with all of their paraphernalia and out the door. And I, I would get them out the door. And then I would like, kind of collapse and be like, well, I hope their teacher is good to them today because we all need a hug. And, and I was, <laughs> I was looking around going, I don't it, how it, how it felt and how it sounded, how it looked. And I was like, I don't value this. I don't value this. Something has got to give. I value peace. And so just being super intentional about having more peaceful mornings, it's like a, this small start to kind of generalizing this idea of a slower pace and mm-hmm. more inhalations and exhalations and just a calmness. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. there's seasons for everything because, you know, just to bring us full circle there, it was, there was a little too much calm when I was like sitting and reading you, you know, in my favorite <laughs> perch, you know, it there was a little too much calm. And now it's like, okay, there are seasons. And this is one where I just, I need a minute. I just mm-hmm. need some deeper breaths. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Uh, it's a huge one for me as well. I think, you know, when you're right in the middle and the thick of your life, it's like, what's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? Yeah. Even in things like my home, <laughs> yeah. children and big feelings, all things. That's a good word. That's really helpful. And I, you know, when I think about what I'm hopeful for right now, um, I'm hopeful about the small, ragtag, scrappy group of people who are doing yeah. this hard work. You know, I am just so hopeful about the stubborn ones who are just clinging on to the hem of Jesus's garment and will not let anybody take this away from them. I, Mm. there's this moment we have at Evolving Faith every year where we have communion at the end of our couple days together. Mm -hmm. And almost always it, you know, it's, it's very low key. There's nobody guarding the table. Everybody's welcome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll sing, you know, songs and stuff like that. And just the fact that we are in this room with this group of people, many of whom are kept from communion tables um, because of their identity, because of who they love, because of how they live their lives. Um, people who would be kept, who have felt not felt like they've been welcome at the table of, of God for a long time, literally running to the bread and the wine and and holding one another and weeping and realizing they still belong in this thing, um, that they're still part of a community, um, that nobody gets to take Jesus away from them, um, that they still get to love God 
and love people. Um, and they're doing it together. I lose my mind every time. Like I just ball my face off and I, I almost feast on it for like a whole, yeah. for a long time afterwards, because to me, it's almost like this metaphor of like, we're still out here. And we will find each other. We'll build these little tables and feasts in the wilderness. We will find companions in the moment we need them. But ultimately, we are we are pushing through this for something that, that looks like deliverance. Hmm. And I think that that's what's waiting on the other side of this for a lot of us. And, and that sense of companionship, that sense of possibility, that sense of belonging um, outside the structures and the ways maybe we've been taught to do it. And all of us who are just like the church nerds and the question askers and the table flippers and the, you know, the yeah, but what about kid, right? It's like, I love us. And I love how we just keep (laughs) pushing this thing further and further into redemption and freedom and liberation for all people. And I just love us. I love watching this happen. And so, yeah, I'm always, always cheering that on. It makes me feel hopeful when I feel like everything else is like on fire and good riddance. Yeah. Um, there's this sense of like, there's this really core good thing there. My uh, friend, Rachel, um, held Evans who founded evolving faith with me. She always used to say that the story of Jesus is a story she was willing to risk being wrong about. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing I feel with this folks like you with folks that our paths are crossing with and a lot of people who are listening to your, your podcast and your channel. It's like, well, we're willing to risk being wrong about this together and we're going to risk believing in it even more than anyone could have imagined. And so look what happened. Oh, how we belong to one another. Gosh, thank you Mm -hmm. for your leadership so much. Tell us um, exactly where to find you, how to follow along. Um, I'll obviously put links to all of your books. Um, There are four, right? I I know of four. There are four. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't think I would have missed anything. So far. (laughs) Um, But yes, yes. Tell us where to find you. Uh, yeah, so you can just go to sarahbethy.com. You'll find links for the books, for me on social media, as well as my newsletter, um, as well as Evolving Faith. Um, mm-hmm. If folks want to join us, that's you know coming up again. And so we'd love to have everyone come. Um, but yeah, I think that that's, that's usually a good spot to go. I'm just kind of Sarah Bethy everywhere in all the places. Awesome. Please never quit writing. I appreciate you oh, so thank much. You. Thank you for your yes. All right. Thanks, Allison. Andy Shaggy Cordy is a friend of the show and a Christian comic book creator. You might have heard of comic events like Drawloween, Inktober, Mary May, Mermaid. Well, this year, Andy is trying something new called Novart's Ordo. In this project, Andy's art will remind everyone about the wide variety of saints who've lived crazy lives that we can relate to and ask for help. To see this great Catholic art all during the event, follow Andy Shaggy Cordy on Instagram or Twitter today. That's Andy Shaggy, K-O-R-T-Y. Links are in the description. Hello. Hello, Beefy Beef. Okay. I want to jump in quick here. I have lots to say today. Well, good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. How do you do? Pleasantry, pleasantry. Listen, Beef. (laughs) Because I'm not as savvy as you on social media or because I don't read as much for leisure as I should, I don't stay up to date or whatever you want to call the way I am. um, I did not know to name what I've been seeing as deconstruction. I didn't Mm, know that mm. this was like a phenomenon, Mm. but anecdotally, I know so many people who are floundering right now and Mm -hmm. feel all the same faith shaking doubt or despair. 
Yeah. I mean, I've seen it all around. I've seen it in you. Yeah. I've felt it in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and Sarah's conversation, by the way, love her, mm-hmm. um, helped me, helped me make an observation. Okay. I'm here for it. Okay. So, I mean, I think it would be one thing if people were looking at Jesus in the gospels and saying, no, I don't believe that, but Mm. that's not it beef. That's not what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, People aren't leaving or despairing or disoriented because they're rejecting Jesus. What I see are people struggling in ways that they've never struggled before because they're looking at other Christians, not Jesus. And they're Mm. saying, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you don't seem to believe what you say you believe. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yeah. I think that people who are walking away, they don't have some sinister desire to go live the rest of their lives in a pit of sin due to some heathenistic worldview or fleshly desire yeah. to live just as they please or whatever it is they're sometimes being accused of. Mm-hmm. Um, in so many cases, deconstruction isn't rebellion. I think it's hurt. Mm. Yeah, that is that's 100 percent true for me. It is definitely about other Christians, but it's like that feels too simple to say Mm -hmm. because it's like, (laughs) I mean, I feel ridiculous because it's like, oh, oh, you're like, you know, in this pit of despair because, (laughs) um, you know, Christians are sinners. Surprise, the church is full of sinners. And it's like that, that's this really, you know, obvious trope. And, and it, I feel mm-hmm. it feels dismissive mm-hmm. of, of what I'm experiencing. You know, it's like, you should know that. And I'm like, I, I know. And I didn't, you know what? It, okay. It reminds me of this. You know how when you were getting married, when we were all getting married, and it's like you would imagine what a fight would be like as a married person, except it was somehow romantic. Or right, right. you've been told your whole life, you know, that parenting teenagers is going to be really hard. But it's like, it, in your mind, you're nailing it, you know, right, or right. we've been told forever and always that having in-laws is going to be, you know, really bad, you know, but then it's like, yeah, but it's like funny, bad, like a sitcom, you know, it's right, going to play out right. in a way that yes, mm-hmm. all of these things are challenging, you know, marriage, teenagers, in-laws, what have you. Yeah. It's all challenging. Um, right. but you don't imagine them and the church is full of sinners, you know, you don't imagine that breaking your heart. You know, and so I just, I feel like my heart's broken. I didn't know that this was going to hurt so bad, you know? Right, right. Okay. You want to know who doesn't think this is ridiculous beef? Jesus. Jesus does not think the way you're feeling is ridiculous. We have a ton of proof. You know, the best proof is is for sure Thomas, right? Jesus is all, hold on, God, I'm coming back. But, but just a sec, Thomas, Thomas needs to put his finger in my open wound real quick. Okay. I mean, he hears us and understands us and he sympathizes with how we feel. How we feel is never a barrier to him ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you want to know how I think you feel beef. I haven't heard you use this word yet, but you feel betrayed and it's because you're right. You were ready for sinners in the church. You're our one. You know that you were ready for sinners. You were just expecting the the fun kind, you know, the same way that you were ready for (laughs) fights with your husband or in-laws or teenagers, right? We just wanted the fun kind where there's no real damage and it always leads to greater intimacy. That's not what you got. And this isn't the fun kind of center. And it's, it's really fever pitched right now. You're not wrong. This is people who you used to ask to pray for you that shaped your faith and they're Mm. saying really, really dumb things and believing outrageous conspiracies and Mm. just you know, posting a lot of garbage. It's just, it's bad leadership. Um, there's just so little worthy leadership right now. 
Yeah. I think that, um, you know, some people in positions of authority, people that you used to get sermon ideas from or whatever, they're preaching the false gospel now very loudly. Yeah. It's this is rigidity and rigidity that makes people feel ostracized and mm. alone. Mm. Not something a savior would never do. It's racism and nationalism and sexism and homophobia. And yeah. so many of the people we used to look up to are um, being discipled by the most obnoxious voice on Fox news. It's Jeez, yes. greed and violence and sin. So it's the church that we love and in the church we love is sin. Um, mm. And I think you feel betrayed because you think the church condones it, or maybe Jesus condones it, but he doesn't. Mm. And we're the church too, right? I mean, there are new leaders rising and, and all this deconstruction, guess what? It's going to lead to reconstruction, I think. And we believe in reconstruction. God's got this. Hmm. Wow. That's why we pay her the big bucks, guys. <laughs> so, okay, you know what we do now? You take your own damn advice, Beef, and you feel your feelings. You're always telling me to feel my feelings. And then go read the Gospels. Don't ever confuse who Jesus is. And form healthy boundaries. You know where you need to be getting your light and love and lessons and prayers from. Not everyone's going to agree with us perfectly, and that's fine. I don't, I mean, I'm not suggesting uniformity, but beef, you've been struggling, and you know the true voices that sound like Jesus, those that you need to be really close to right now, even closer. And there's not one thing wrong with that. Hmm. Wow. Thanks, beef. It's really nice. Quit, quit beating yourself up about how you feel. Guilt is way too complicated to add to all this mm, mess. Yeah. Wow. I love you, Beef. I needed every single word of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I can't wait to go back and listen to all that again. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I read recently, I mentioned him in the interview, Brian Zond. Um, he was talking about how mm-hmm. there's, you know, if you picture it's like this metaphor for kind of what's going on, but it was talking about this old precious icon of Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and um it, the the problem is that it's been buried in in rubble and debris for for centuries, and it needs our care and our patience and our gentleness to kind of slowly dust it off and and restore it. And and the grime that's collected, all that stuff, you know, it has to be mm-hmm. removed, but it has to be removed gently. You know, it's like the the process matters. And um, whether that's even if it takes longer than you'd like, because this is taking longer than I'd like, you know, but the, but the time, right. the gentleness and everything that you just said speaks to that. Like there is so mm. much gentleness regarding like me and how I'm feeling in my process. So um or, or guilt, you know, whether, it, you know, I, it's right. like I've been feeling anger, or I've been feeling guilty and that's, that's just not helpful, you know, in, in the process. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. We can scrub off the 20th century fundamentalism and we can, Hmm. we can do that gently. And then we can find our way back to Jesus, Mm. uh, Jesus who hasn't been sullied or ruined by anything. Yeah. Gosh. Wow. And also, also beef, we got to go back to Canada or we need to go to Canada. I need to go back to Canada. You need to go to Canada um, and visit Sarah. (laughs) Sarah, Yes. Yes. Bake her things and babysit her kids and give her lattes or whatever else she loves because that woman can never quit preaching. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. That interview was such a dream come true for me. Love her. Love her. Love her. Oh my gosh. She's a marvel. She really is. Um, Love you, Beef. Thank you. Love you. 
Wow. Sinners, saints, brothers, and sisters, what a season. I could never, ever, ever thank our guests enough for lending their hearts, time, and wisdom with us. We are so much better for the ways that you've shared your gifts. And I could also, listener, never thank you enough for tuning in week after week. A big thank you to Taylor Schroll as well for mixing and editing and sharing a studio week after week. Sinner Saint Sister will have a short break, but don't worry. You can always go back and catch up on old episodes. You can also check out Forte Catholic, where I co-host about 25% of the time. You can also keep up with us between seasons on Instagram and TikTok, which is where I post the most. Things are shaping up for a really exciting season next season. Also, I can't wait. See you soon. Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to ForteCatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.